What's up, Grizz Nation? Before we get to the intro music, I just wanted to let you know that this week's podcast was done on the Locker Room app, available in the Apple App Store. Locker Room is a live, audio-only social platform for sports fans and insiders. It was really fun. We wanted to do this because there was a nice controversial take that my co-host Nathan Chester shared on Twitter last week, and I just wanted to engage dialogue with Grizzlies Twitter on it and really just have a nice little discussion involving just more than just me and Nate. So make sure you tweet at me, at Paca underscore Flocka, or at the podcast, at the core four podcast with the number four, not the word four, if this is a format that y'all want to see more often. So with that, sit back and enjoy this episode of the core four podcast. Welcome to the Locker Room edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Alongside GBB Live, the 3&D Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast, make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you need to do on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow Grizzly Bear Blues. It's a blog on SB Nation. Find it on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies or at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me today is none other than the reason why we're doing this podcast in locker room in the first place. The one, the only, negative Nate Chester. Nate, what's up? Parker, man, all I can do is just speak the truth, and apparently, you know, <laughs> speaking the truth will bring a little bit of opposition, and, you know, that's why we're here today. That's why we're on the locker room app instead of using our usual Zoom, because, um, we got some people who are opponents to the truth, and that's why they're here. Absolutely. You know what? For some unfamiliar people that may not know what's really going on in Grizz Twitter and the fire that you created, I want you to just go ahead and just lay it all out there. Let us know why we're why we're here today, Nate. So back, it was um, the night after the Grizzlies lost to the Detroit Pistons, uh, whatever, I think that was Thursday of last week. So, you know, tensions are running high on Grizz Twitter, like basically they always do every time the Grizzlies have lost for the last month. And I said something. Uh, Jaron Jackson had greatly struggled on that game, especially on the defensive end of the court. And I said something that was very provocative. I said, really, to this point in his career, he has really just been a glorified Andrea Bargnani. And there's a rep- Andrea Bargnani has a reputation for being a bust, and I think that's very unfair, and I'll talk about that here in a minute. But you can imagine how people responded to hearing me call one of the franchise cornerstones of the Grizzlies, somebody that everybody, including myself, loves as both a person and a player, Andre and Bargnani, who they consider to be a bust. You can understand why that would be infuriating, but do you want me to just go ahead and like give a little bit of like what my thoughts are and what my argument is for this take? 
Yeah, go for it, for sure. And then Graham will let you respond to Nate once he's done here. Sure. So Andre and Bargnani is not a bust. That's the first thing I think we need to qualify before we go into anything else. And uh, yeah, that's not, totally true. Yeah, yeah. It was not my intention with that take to say that Jaron Jackson is bad or that Jaron Jackson will never be good because Andre and Bargnani, especially at his peak, was a very, very good NBA player. At his peak, um, he averaged 21 points and six rebounds a game. That was back during the 2009-2010 season. Um, a guy who's putting up borderline Dirk Nowitzki numbers. Now, granted, he was doing it on a really bad Toronto Raptors team, but you simply cannot call a guy – putting up 21 points and six rebounds a game in the NBA, a bad player. He was a very good player until he had a career-altering injury, and then he flamed out with the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets, and he was really never able to become healthy again after that. But at his peak, this is what Andre Bargnani was. He was, a sh- he was, in many ways, a shooting guard trapped in a power forward's body, a perimeter big who was a very good shooter who did most of his damage from the perimeter. He was never a very good rebounder. And he was not a good defender. There, there's no other way to spend that in any way. His strength was never on the defensive side of the basketball. And obviously, Jaron Jackson, even though he does have stretches, especially here trying to come back after not playing for eight months, where he struggles on the defensive end of the court. But when you're describing Andrea Bargnani's skill set, who does it remind you of? It reminds you of Jaron Jackson Jr. And here, I'll just show you their per – the best way to compare two players from two different eras is to look at their per 100 possession stats. So, so far at this stage of Jaron Jackson's career, he is averaging 27.6 points, 8.4 rebounds, and 2.2 assists per 100 possessions. For Andre and Bargnani, and this is counting his entire career, including the last part of his career where he was constantly hurt and was a shell of himself in a lot of ways, he averaged 26 points, and the exact same amount of rebounds and the exact same amount of assists that Jaron Jackson did to this point in his career. The point of my take, as I'm saying, is that Andre Bargnani at his peak was a very good perimeter big, and I see a lot of that in Jaron Jackson right now in that way. Now, obviously, in the context of when I was saying it after the Grizzlies lost to the Detroit Pistons, it made it look like I was tearing him down, but the point is to say that Jaron Jackson while he's a good player, just like Andrea Bargnani was a good player back then, he still has a long way to go. His upside is much further to reach than Andrea Bargnani. And really, to be honest, he's better than Andrea Bargnani right now than Andrea Bargnani ever was. But there is similarities into who they are as players at this point. And the fact that he's been that good to this point just demonstrates how much farther he has to go at just 21 years old. When you talk about it this way, I think it's a pretty rational take. Well, you may not see the actual rationality behind it, given the the fire that you've started within Grizzlies Twitter, specifically our faithful leader, GBB, someone who is in this room right now, Joe Molinax, has called it your worst take in GBB history. He just stole your tagline there to talk about your take. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean – Look, I understand what you're saying, but I'll just say I respectfully disagree just because I'm kind of like looking at the body of work here where I never thought Andrea Bargnani was any that good of a defender, not even close to as mobile on the defensive side of the ball as Jaron Jackson Jr. Does he have struggles 
Yeah, I, I think his fouling is an issue, and he does get himself caught on the wrong – on just the wrong end of plays, to be honest. I think that's just youth and just energy. Like, I remember hearing so many times that somebody would say, Jaron Jackson is literally trying to block every shot, and I just think that kind of excitement of that energy on the defensive end and the floor leads to some lapses. But as we had texted about even earlier, his stocks numbers, his steals plus blocks numbers – are extraordinary for a big man. And he, last season, tied Christos Porzingis for the most games with multiple threes and multiple blocks. And I know we have a Mavs or a Matt or Timberwolves fan in here, Logan, who loves Carl Anthony Towns. But Jaron Jackson Jr. and Christos Porzingis did that better than than Cat, though Cat's a superior player. But <laughs> I, I just think that Jaron is just this unique player who honestly a lot of his statistical comps may favor more towards these old school like hybrid three fours that we saw in like the early 2000s mid 2000s whatever you want to call it um one one i saw earlier was Rashard lewis when when given to account his three-point volume his scoring, he was just kind of this big forward that kind of had some guard skills to him you see that a little bit with jaron jackson jr and his ability to break down the defense in the half court with his ball handling, his ability to run the break, which we, we've seen kind of inconsistent results as he's getting back into rhythm. But I I think that he's just going to end up being a unique player who's very hard to compare. And you know what? I'm going to let Grant here give his thoughts, whether it's to Nate Spargiani take or just his take on Jaron Jackson Jr. in general. Grant, what's up, man? What's up? Um, so I'm actually the biggest Jaron Jackson Jr. fan in the world. Um, oh, gosh. I'm a Mavs fan, though. Um, so, you know, I wanted us to take him. Obviously, we – we. Uh, hey, you got Luca. You got Luca. Yeah, it's we, all good. Yeah, we got Luca. It's all good. But um, so <laughs> well, I'm not even going to go near Nathan's uh, defensive take um, when it comes to Bariani versus Jaron because, I mean – I mean, it's not even close. He does bite too much on everything, and he does foul too much, but I don't think, you know, that's just what young players do that, you know, haven't developed in this game. Uh, one thing that is extremely different between Bariani and uh, Jaron is Jaron's ability to, I, I mean, Bariani was no slouch when it came to creating offense, but uh, Jaron Jackson can I'm, dribble the ball, and I think that helps him a lot. Um one thing that Parker said uh, that I wanted to touch on was, uh, so you, you said something about the comparisons between players and how he's unique. Um, I've always struggled to find a comparison for him that makes sense. The only one I've ever kind of been able to manifest was like, if you take the four forwards and centers from the 2019 Raptors, yeah, Kawhi, Serge, Mark, and Pascal, and you put them all in a blender and kind of put some ice and water in it, dilute it a little bit, because that's kind of where Jaron is right now. That is the closest comp you can get to it to a Jaron Jackson because he's such a hybrid or no, yeah, he's such a, a prototype prototypical player. There's never been really anything like it. And and his upside and his ceiling is just so high that I, I don't think there's ever really going to be a fair comp until he gets further into yeah, so I, I just wanted to say, I know I, I can't speak on Joe's behalf here, but just for that comparison, do you, do you have a job? Like, do you have a, a writing job and would want to go to GBB? Because that is the most beautiful 
comparison I've ever seen to Jaron Jackson Jr. Because, I mean, you know, in uh, his pre-draft video that he did with KG, KG called him the Kawhi of bigs, potentially. And I, I think there's a lot of those elements that you mentioned, Siakam, Kawhi, um, Pascal. I don't – I kind of catch if I kind of blacked out from the take a little bit, but I didn't remember if you mentioned OG Ananobi or Mark Gasol. But it's wonderful analysis there. But Nate, I'll, I'll get it back to you real quick. Yeah, and you, so back when Jaron Jackson, the Grizzlies initially drafted him, I wrote a piece where Anthony Davis was the primary cop for him, and I thought the piece was pretty well done, if I do say so myself. And even back then. It's not like a. It's not an even fit there. There's too many differences between him and Jaron, uh, between Jaron Jackson and Anthony Davis, or even somebody like Kevin Garnett for that to feel like a proper comp. And I agree with you, Grant. I think he's going to be something that's borderline unprecedented, not just because of who he is as a player, but also because the the freedom and empowerment that this era gives a player like him to do. If Jaron Jackson played in 2007, he's not being given the flexibility to take six to seven threes a game. He just isn't. Um, But that just goes to show how unique he is and how much farther that he has to go in the future. Jaron Jackson Jr. at 25 or 26 years old, I'm not going to put a cap on it, and I'm not going to deal in hyperbole and say he could be an MVP candidate because, honestly, I don't know. He's still got a lot of raw areas to work out in his game. But we've been saying it from day one. The sky really is the limit for what he is. And, you know, going back to the Bargani take, I can poke holes in Jaron's game. But like, yes, Jaron can get to the rim better than Andre and Bargani can, but go look at Bargani's highlights. Bargani can score from the mid-range and elevate at the mid-range far, with far greater comfort level than Jaron can. Jaron just really, at this stage of his career, does not possess much in the way of an in-between game. And once he starts to develop that area of his game, when he can truly start to face up and shoot with regularity and comfort from 15 feet, that is going to make him just borderline impossible to guard because right now bigs are having to close out on him at the three-point line to try to make him drive. But they're kind of giving him space once he starts to drive. They're trying to give him space to where he has to go all the way to the rim because they don't really they aren't too worried about him pulling up from that 10 to 15 foot area. But once he does, once he can truly efficiently score from all three levels on the court, there really won't be any way to stop him. Exactly. And and I, I understand the Bariani like comp in a, in a sense. But you can't post that on Twitter, man. They're gonna they're gonna eat you alive. No, that that's fair. That's very fair. And you know, I should have probably. Uh, I, I will I will say I didn't expect people to like harp and dwell on it for like a week after the fact. But um, I guess some pushback for saying something like that with no context on Twitter is probably to be expected. Yeah, Nate, you, you really uh, just got to start understanding. Absolutely, Grant. And uh, you really just got to start understanding the repercussions of your takes sometimes because that was a wild one. And But you know what? It started this great dialogue, though, of why we're here right now, and that is to discuss what Jaron Jackson is right now and what he could become. And the next speaker I'm going to get on here is the graphics god himself, the NASCAR connoisseur himself, Will Stone. Will, how's it going? Oh, boy. Uh, it is going, let me tell you. Um, I don't – I don't have the answer for what what Jaron's comp is exactly, but but to speak on the Bargnani discussion and, and evolution and stuff like that, I get that you have to look at per thirty six or per hundred possessions or whatever to 
to take into account eras and everything like that. But Bargnani has this beautiful bell curve of like, you know, he, he started slowly in the league. He got to the point where he was a 20 points per game kind of guy. And then he tapered off, you know, slowly, like with injury and everything like that. And, and it's, it's asinine to me in a sense to look at, you know, Oh, here are these two guys and we're going to comp them together at their per 100s and per 36s and stuff. When you look at the starting point that Jaron has had, you know, and, and, what he has done um, to, to go back to my roots prior to graphics and whatever else I wound up doing. I was a statistics minor uh, at the university of Nebraska and I did a bunch of stuff with sports science and data and stuff like that. And uh, the like most statistically significant stat, if you could boil down all of basketball into one stat to determine like actual success uh, from a team standpoint, it's the effective field goal percentage because that that one can transcend basically everything else that you're looking at. And just to really like generalize this entire take, because that's all it is, is a massive generalization of two players. But to generalize them both, all you need to see is that in Bargnani's first two seasons, his like effective field goal percentage over those two years was 47.6%. And Jaren's was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 56%. And that, I mean, like you, you look at that and you just, you, the, the comp is nice, I guess, in the sense that the numbers line up the way that they're supposed to. But you see finally, like, there's a player who is on a whole different level in how he plays the game in his first two seasons, plus the fact that he entered the league younger and he just, I mean, he's so much more raw. He didn't have any kind of Euro League experience or anything like that. And he comes in and he's already playing at a higher level. He's already doing these kind of things. And so, yeah, you can look at the numbers and they line up nice and neat for a, you know, general take. But the problem is that when you look at their starting points and everything else, like it just really falls apart and the wheels kind of come off that one. So that's that's all I got there. It, not to agree with you too much, but uh, Jaron's better. <laughs> I, I could go ahead and qualify that if I've not qualified that already. Jaron Jackson is a better basketball player than Andre Bargnani ever was. And the whole point of me saying what I did is not to say that, you know, even at this point, like there is some similarities between the two. I called him a glorified Andre Bargnani, which would uh, seem to indicate that he is superior in ways. But Jaron Jackson, even right now at his age, is better than Pete Bargnani ever was. I think that's very clear, very obvious, even when you take the per 100 possession account, uh, per, uh, those stats into account. Like, it's clear that Jaron Jackson, if you had to pick between the two, no matter how similar the players were, if I'm just taking a look at the data right in front of me, then Jaron Jackson is the player that I'm picking. If I wanted to defend Bargnani, I would say he didn't get to put up the, the amount of volume of three-point attempts that would have increased his effective field goal percentage if he was playing in the same era that Jaron Jackson had. Again, we talked about flexibility of era. Jaron doesn't have the same freedom, the same empowerment in 2006 that he would have right now. And so that probably raises Andrea Bargnani's 
effective field goal percentage, the incre- um, the greater emphasis on analytics. Um, I think Sean Coleman made the point here in the group uh, the group chat that we got going here that uh, Bargnani settled for a lot of bad shots. Maybe that's something that changes with coaching in a more analytically driven NBA where he's being put in spots where he takes more volume three-point shots rather than settling for more contested mid-range shots, which are more prevalent even back then as they are compared to right now. But even with all that in mind, like I will definitely concede that Jaron Jackson is a better player than Andre Bargnani. Again, the whole point of my take was to say, look, this is kind of like the baseline by which I view him, at least as an offensive player at the very least. I see a lot of similarities right there. But I heard Will, I heard you say this, Grant, I heard you say it, that it's almost unfair to compare Jaron Jackson Jr., who has a better baseline to start off with than Andre Bargnani, and also, he's still only 21 years old right now as compared to Bargnani in his prime at 26, 27 years old. Um, so thinking of it through that lens, think about what Jaron is going to be at 25 or 26. If you see Bargnani as kind of this rough comp that is kind of rough, and Jaron is still clearly the superior player between the two, and Bargnani was a very good player for a long time, and he averaged 21 points and six rebounds a game at his peak. Imagine what Jaron could be at 26 or 27. The problem is that that imagine what Jaron could be kind of invalidates the whole comp in the first place because, like, you concede that, oh, yeah, like, Jaron is starting, you know, he's starting earlier, he's rougher, he's all these kind of things. Like, you know, I said it, but Arnani had the advantage of playing a couple of years, you know, in Europe and stuff like that before he came over and was the number one pick and stuff like that. But it just it becomes a little problematic in making that comparison because of the fact that when you give the ground that it's not a great comparison and you know that it's going to fall apart eventually, like why make it in the first place is really how I think a lot of people on Grizzlies Twitter would look at that because if you're willing to give that, imagine how good Jaron's going to be, you know, yeah, there there are some loose similarities, but when you give the ground that it's going to fall apart eventually, then don't make it in the first place. But are there well, anything actually yeah. more than loose similarities? Don't really any player comps start to break down at some point when you start to analyze it deep enough? I mean, we've talked about Anthony Davis and Kevin Garnett for Jaron Jackson, but at the end of the day, I would say there's just as much uh, similarity between Jaron and those guys as there is between Jaron and Bargnani. Now, I think we all believe that Jaron will start to trend at the very least, toward players like Anthony Davis and Kevin Garnett. And again, we don't know what the final product will be. We don't know what his final upside will be. But all player comps start to break down if you start to analyze them deeply. Yeah, but yeah, when you, I, th- I think I think right, it's just one of those things, too. It's all, it's all good. But I think it's just one of those things where I think player comps should only just be used to a certain extent. I think it's very good in terms of uh, telling an unfamiliar fan or – person an unfamiliar person with the game of basketball or with the nba in general oh this player is like this guy like if you're just telling like a casual fan like let's say i was talking to um a phoenix suns fan about jaron jackson jr and like oh what is he like oh he's about like that guy like that's just the best way to put it and i think just at some point especially in today's era and just how the game is just bending it's just going to start becoming one of those things where the more you use player comps, like you said, Nate, like you said, well, the loose it becomes. So, I mean, I'm pulling this up right here, and 
But Jaron Jackson in particular, he's one of four players, 6'11 or taller, to shoot six or more threes a game while shooting at league average from three. The only other players that did that were Chris Porzingis last year, Nikola Vucevic this year, and Brooke Lopez that first season he had the three-point explosion. So I think at some point, just in general, that's when it starts to kind of break apart. And I'm going to I'm gonna lead this into getting the locker room legend himself, the host of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast, and a GBB senior staff writer, Sean Coleman, to give his take here. What's up, Sean? Hey, guys. First off, it's a pleasure to finally have y'all here. And uh, it's just it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to talk with some folks. Will, it's a pleasure to uh, finally meet you as well. Hope all's well on your end. Yes, hello, sir. Same to you. So um, I agree with Parker. I think that if you were on a radio show and they were going through a list of players to ask you about, give me what this player does in 10 or 15 seconds, you give a description of Jaron Jackson Jr., that's probably the closest that you get to him being an Andrea Bargnani. There are so many other things that sets Jaron Jackson Jr. apart that never was able to be there with Bargnani. The first thing is, is the ability to not necessarily create his own shot effectively, but the potential to. That's a rising thing about Jaron's game. The dribble drive ability for a seven-foot center, power forward, whatever you want to call it, to be able to create off the dribble, that is exactly what sets Jaron apart compared to a lot of players his size who can shoot the three. There's a lot better shot selection and premeditated creativity in setting up his shot. That's why there's the difference in the two-point percentages when it comes to the two. There's also, obviously, the defensive momentum-changing play potential, which we've seen more of since Jaron's been back. The different areas in which a player can impact a game, especially with Jaron being two years younger at this point in their career, is what sets him apart and gives him kind of the all-star track. My best comparison for Jaron has always been Porzingis with athleticism and more of a turnover creator than a rim presence. That's always been my comparison. But that right there has an all-star type setup, a multiple-time all-star type setup than a Bargnani. So it's a very general... This is this is a five-second description of Jaron. That would be the Bargnani comp. But when you spend maybe 15 or 20 more seconds, you see that it gets a lot more exciting. Yeah, so what is the purpose of a player comp? I think there are two purposes for a player comp, and maybe this will give some better articulation by how I'm approaching it. But I think you can approach it in one of two ways when you're making a player comp. The first one is to see what this player can become. So when you think about what Jaron Jackson Jr. can become, you think of players like Christoph Porzingis, you think of Anthony Davis, you think of Kevin Garnett, and you draw those comps knowing that they're not perfect and knowing that it's not going to be able to be a neat fit, but it, it gives you an idea of what the comparable skill sets of other stars can be. That's one way how you can view a player comp. The other one is to think, what does this player need to work on? So it's almost like you're trending in the negative direction when you're making this player comp to get a better feel for what area of his game does the player in question need to improve on. And since we're talking about Jaron Jackson, you can use someone like Andrea Bargnani and approach it from the framework of like, yes, Jaron Jackson, even right now, is better than Andrea Bargnani. Me or any self-respecting person who follows the NBA would pick Jaron Jackson, but 
there's some similarities in their offensive skill set, but also there are weaknesses in Bargnani's game that you can still see in Jaron Jackson's game right now. Um, we can make any rationalization about why Jaron struggles as a rebounder. And to his credit, he's shown improvement in that area so far this year, but he's averaging the same amount of rebounds per 100 possessions that Andrea Bargnani, who was known as a perimeter big who never battled inside, did for his entire career. That's an area where you use that player comp to make a point to say, hey, this guy may have been a good player, but he was not remembered favorably in this light. And that's something that Jaron Jackson really needs to work on in his game if he wants to get into that upper tier to truly belong in those other conversations with the stars that we compare him to. And he's 21 years old, right? That's the other thing about it is that there's a two-year difference. Plus, there's so much more potential when you factor in Jaron's athleticism versus Bargnani's. You typically see that year launch, that most improved player year launch. Sometimes it happens in the seventh year like it did with Julius Randle. Sometimes it happens unexpectedly in year two like it has for others. But my point is, is that with Jaron, that player launch year to put him to where you're at a new level to compare his future to as a baseline versus what he's doing now, we're seeing that that type of potential is there this year. There is, I know it's in a small sample size, but it shows that there's been work done in the base weak areas of his game. The rebounding, the blocks, I know the fouls are still there, but also the ability for playmaking as well as making the stocks to create momentum-changing plays. There have been indications in just a short time frame of how much better Jaron can get. Bargnani never had that potential. So I think that the way to put it, in my opinion, would be is that if Jaron capped right now, if his peak was right now and he did not go forward anymore, maybe Bargnani is an 80% of what Jaron Jackson Jr. is right now. But if Jaron really has the potential to move forward, perhaps Jaron becomes 90% of what a Bosch or a Garnett or somebody like that is. That's the way I would put it. But I just, there's just so many areas where Jaron can get significantly better that makes the Bargnani comp just. It's there's really no way for that to be a positive. It's only really a negative. One thing I've tried to make a point of when it comes to evaluating the now polarizing now behind Killian Tilly, Justice Winslow, and now Jaron Jackson Jr. is I want to take the flashes because these guys they had a rehab during the pandemic. They it's just been a rocky road to get back to where they were, and they had significant layoff. And I think with Jaron Jackson Jr., to Sean's point, is just putting the groundwork to, you know, maybe make that most improved leap in the next in the next season. I would honestly, if I were a betting man, I would put money on Jaron Jackson Jr. winning most improved player next year because, as Nate pointed out, he's making the advancements as a rebounder. And we're starting to see – I know I'm like Jaron Jackson at the four, but when you put another rangy big next to him – like the Jonas Valanciunas, we're seeing defense like them just swallow offensive players at the rim because their their length at at the above the rim is just unbelievable. I mean, last game they had 19 team blocks, and Kyle Anderson, Jonas Valanciunas, and Jaron Jackson Jr. all had four more blocks. So it's one of those things where I see the groundwork being laid. He's trying different stuff as far as getting more out on the break and being more of a uh, transition ball handler results have been kind of shaky, but that's the kind of stuff that you like to see from Jaron Jackson Jr. That little bit of grab and go potential 
mad that he's getting rebounds. He's still firing from three. I know I saw uh, Joe Molinax right in the uh, quick recap the other night against Toronto that Jaron shot too many threes. Hell, Jaron Jackson Jr. can shoot 10 threes a game all he wants because that is exactly what I like to see from him because it's just one of those things where it just it's going to expand the rest of this game, the rest of his offense. When you have a guy that's seven foot, seven foot one, who's able to take opponents off the dribble, he's able to shoot, catch and shoot threes. He's able to shoot pull up threes. He can rebound. He can block shots. He can get steals. He can be active defensively. I just think there are so many different ways Jaron Jackson Jr. can continue to evolve his game and make that next leap that he can really take off. And, you know, I know uh, Will was trying to make a point. So, Will, I'm going to let you uh, make your point here real quick. Yeah, I was just going to quickly say that I think Sean's assessment is accurate, that that's the big issue I have with the Bargnani comparison, is that it's it's fine for the moment, but eventually and, – and, Beyond just even analyzing it today, it falls apart. But the ceiling of Jaron Jackson is so much different than what Bargnani ever was. Like, if Jaron gets to the trajectory he is on at this moment, and it seems like he is more than capable of doing that based on what we've seen in small sample size this season, but also what we've seen early on in his career and stuff, like, he is on a path that is going to blow Bargnani out of the water. So, Comping him to Bargnani at this moment is like you have to put so many other qualifiers on that, and that's what I'm speaking to Nate in this moment. Like, like the qualifiers of, oh yeah, Jaron Jackson in his current form is a la you know maybe year five Bargnani or something like that. But to just say straight across, yeah, my comp in this moment you know is that Jaron seems like Bargnani. It's like. Yeah, but there's so many other things that are going to come into play here. And, you know, my, my thing is I'll always look at it. And I graduated college six months ago, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is younger than I am and has been in the league for three seasons. Like that, I mean, that's mind-boggling to me just thinking about that. But then you factor in the fact that he played his college basketball season, his one season of college basketball was, you know, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year as an 18-year-old. Like he played most of that season as an 18-year-old. Went to the league. Here he is. He's a way better shooter than people thought he was going to wind up being. And he's already shown these flashes of that Bosch, Chris Stapps, Anthony Davis, kind of whatever. And he's not he's not there yet. And who knows if he really ever does get there. But it seems like that is much better of a comparison at this moment than to say, oh, Bargnani, because such and such a thing, such and such a whatever, especially when Bargnani has played a full career. Aaron Jackson is still you know, figuring his stuff out at this moment. So, yeah, that's my piece. I was I was just going to say real quickly before I step down, for all those listening, Parker and Nathan, it doesn't get better when it comes to talent, kindness, writing, and podcasting ability. So if you listen to this, listen to them more often. And also Will's graphics are awesome as well. I'm going to step down, guys. Always a pleasure. We'll do this again soon. Absolutely, man. Sean, thank you so much. Um, we, we typically try to shoot for about a 25-30 minute podcast. Uh, so if anybody has any final remarks, anything that they want to say, uh, just send a speaker request. I'm definitely going to start doing these more often. I thought today was really fun. Great dialogue. Nate, my co-host, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the locker room format for what we did today? Uh, I, think, I thought this was great. This is something I'd like to do going forward. Um, 
<laughs> I think it's interesting to see how people can rally around a certain point of view, can all come together and have a good conversation about it. Because that's what fandom's all about at the end of the day. Uh, we're all passionate about certain teams. We're all passionate about certain players. And it's good to be able to share in that community, even if we can't be in the same room when we're doing that. So I think this is great. Um, I think this is something, Parker, that you and I should try to acclimate to normally for when we do our podcast. Yeah, for sure. That was fun. It was really fun. And, you know, despite, you know, the backlash and hatred that Nate got for his take, granted, it's it's probably not going to be Bargani. Like, let's be real. Jaron Jackson Jr. will not be Andrea Bargani. More than likely. Something catastrophic would have to happen. He would have to probably go down like a Chandler Parsons, Justice Winslow-esque injury run for that to happen. But he's just such a special player that can end up, as Joe had said, just like kind of this one-of-one one kind of deal. Or as Grant said, this just blend and combination of all these different six-nine to seven-foot guys, whether they're more threes or more fours or fives. There's just so many different avenues for how Jaron Jackson Jr. could evolve and just be this unicorn big man and be really – the 1B to John Morant's 1A, or maybe even then, I, I kind of, for another time, I, I kind of liken them more to like a an ideal 3 to somebody's 1A, 1B with John Morant. That's a different conversation, definitely for another room. But I, I just think he's going to be a special player, and there's really it's really unfair to kind of come up with a comparison because he just does so many different unique things for a guy that's 7 foot tall and 21 years old. For sure, absolutely, and I think we're all very excited to see what, how he's going to have an impact on the Grizzlies throughout the end of this year and what he's going to be in the future because there's more ambiguity with Jaron Jackson Jr. than there is with Ja Morant. Ja Morant may have not quite taken the leap in year two that many of us thought it was going to, but he's still been great. He still helped lead the Grizzlies to the edge of the playoff race once again, and I can feel comfortable in saying that Ja Morant will be a perennial all-star here in the next few years. Um, Jaron Jackson, there's a lot of ambiguity there. Um, maybe he levels out as a guy who averages 22 points per game while providing um, all defense caliber play on the other side of the ball. Nothing wrong with that. That's an all-star caliber player in and of itself. But maybe he goes up an even greater tier than that and becomes something that, like we've been talking about, is unprecedented and we've never seen before. That's the exciting mm-hmm. part of this Grizzlies core. And that's what's been frustrating about not being able to have him in the lineup this year because you wanted to see the type of leaps that he was going to take if he had remained healthy. But, good Lord willing, I think he's going to have a healthy all season, and I'm expecting a big year four lead from Jaron Jackson Jr. Absolutely. Thanks, Nate. Find him on Twitter at NathanChester24 for all his blazing hot takes. Make sure you are reading our work over at grizzlybearblues.com. Following the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Following me on Twitter at Paco underscore Flocka. Follow the podcast on Twitter at the Core Four Podcast with the number four, not the word four. And we'll be sure to do uh, these more often, especially as we get into the off season and want to try to engage y'all in dialogue here. But with that, as we like to say on the Core Four Podcast, that's all, folks. 